Turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. I want to continue the thought that I had this morning. And we talked about the subject of fallen from grace. And how that you can reject living by grace. And if you do, then you have no desire and power to do the will of God. Because that's where it comes from. I also talked a little bit in Sunday school about how to make God look good. Everything that we say and do should be because we want to magnify the Lord. We want people to see the Lord. And the best way for people to see God is the gospel of grace. Because, see, that is the lens by which people are able to see just what God is like. You add works to the gospel... And you marred the picture. You are marred the image. By adding works to the gospel, you take away the true, the real image of what God is like. Because God says that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that by believing, we can have eternal life and know that we're going to heaven. You add one work that you have to do, and it depends upon you in any way, then you have taken away that which shows the love and the kindness and the goodness of God. So here in the book of Titus, it talks about some things that were pretty bad. The way that we were. The way God sees the world. So look in chapter 3, the book of Titus, and look in verse 1. Put them in mind. To be subject to principalities and powers. To obey magistrates. To be ready to every good work. Once we have trusted Christ as our Savior, it is the will of God that His children walk in good works. He says in verse 2, To speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle and showing all meekness unto all men. But we ourselves also were sometime, and He kind of gives us a picture that when we were lost and you didn't know any better, when you didn't know the Lord, the way you were, he says, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Well, if that isn't a picture of the world, that's the way the world is. And then in verse 4, he says, in spite of all the way we were, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Against that kind of a backdrop. Because you see, when you see how bad man is, then you can see how good God is. But when people try to prove how good they are, then they can't see God, how righteous and holy He really is. It mars the picture. The, you, you can't see as clearly as you ought to. So it demonstrates what grace means. The way we were, and hateful, and hating one another, and then, but God demonstrated His kindness and His love toward us. And then you notice there in verse 5, where it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. Saved us is past tense. 
So I was, I am now, I have been justified, sanctified, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Given a new birth, I am now a child of God. So in view of this, God says, now that we have been justified by what He's done for us, see there in verse 6, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His what? By His grace. So we talk a lot about grace, and sometimes I'm not sure if people really understand what God is saying. So he tells us here in the book of Titus how it works. What grace does. A man wrote a book one time called Disciplined by Grace. Grace doesn't let you alone. Grace is something that really works in a person's life. It's God's desire and power working in your life. And you don't want it to be in vain. You see me now. And you think that I'm really polished. But you don't know me when. Now, if you could have saw me when I was 17 years old, boy, am I glad you can. I wasn't that bad. I just wasn't that good. I just wasn't real bad. But I can tell you this. Since I trusted Christ as my Savior, I'm not the same man that I used to be. And I don't believe you should be the same person you used to be. I believe that if you trust Christ as Savior, we should love the Lord. We should walk with the Lord. It's our reasonable service. But not everybody does. And if they don't, that doesn't take away their salvation. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're in disobedience, carnally minded, babe in Christ. Now, look in Titus in chapter 2. Titus in chapter 2. The Bible talks to us about being strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about in Timothy. Salvation by grace is what makes God look good. Because, you see, that's what really impressed me more about God than anything else. When I saw that salvation was free and no gimmicks, no strings attached... That's how I knew, and that's how you probably understood, God must really love me. That He would do all this for me without any strings attached. And that I didn't have to serve Him, but He loved me anyway. How would you like to die and to pay for the sins of somebody that you knew would reject what you did? But God loved us while we were yet sinners. Displayed His love toward us. So he says that God loving us when there's nothing lovable about us teaches us how to live. I know that sounds strange. But here in Ephesians in 2, 8, and 9, maybe you've heard those verses before. If you know it, quote it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If it was by one work, a man could brag about that one work. But it's not of works, that means no works at all. 
It means that God will save me by my faith in what Christ did for me and give me eternal life as a free gift. Now, it doesn't get any better than that. You ever see those commercials with all the guys standing around with their drink in their hand? You know, it doesn't get any better than this. Oh, buddy, you don't know anything. There isn't anything better than knowing the Lord and knowing He loves me and then serving God and the peace and the joy and the happiness that you have because you're doing so. And it means that I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that I'm going to be with the Lord. But there's some things that are mentioned here in Titus in chapter 2, but look there in verse 11. Verse 11 shows you that salvation hath appeared unto all men. It means it's for everybody. It is for everybody. And when he says that this grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Then look there in verse 4 of chapter 3. But after that the goodness or the kindness of God, the love of God our Savior toward man, appeared. It appeared in grace. You see, grace shows you how kind God is, how loving God is. It helps you to see the real picture of God. Now, if you studied the Old Testament, and a lot of people, they studied about the law and the vengeance of a, a mighty God that's just a bloodthirsty Old Testament God that's out to get everybody, and he's so mean. And, no, 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 no. That's not the real picture of God. God has wrath, but God has love also. And so you need to understand why is he so angry? It's because of sin. But he loves me, and he loves you. So God uses the wickedness of man to demonstrate the goodness of God. And whenever you try to destroy that picture of the gospel and God loving me just like I am, then you marred his picture and the image of God is distorted. And people don't get a clear picture. So that's why we try to make the gospel clear and simple because we want them to see how beautiful God is. We want God to look good and the gospel is what makes God really look good. And when you mess up, that God doesn't look so good because he left you to try to earn your salvation by your good works. And if you don't live right, no, see, that's, that's not grace. And that's not the way God is. So if you write some things down, write, write some of these down. I'll give you seven things real quick. Salvation by grace makes God look good. And Understand this, when it says, hath appeared unto all men, it means that God's grace is unlimited. His grace is unlimited. It's for everybody. It's for everybody, not just a few people. And the second thing I want you to write down is, God's grace will show us how to live. God's grace will show us how to live. Look there in verse 12. You see, it hath appeared unto all men. And His grace teaches us something about ourselves and about God. Teaching us, as you'll see there, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, you ought to underline these two words, we should live. So the grace of God teaches you and I how to live. And how should I live? 
How did God treat me when I was so bad? When I was so wicked, God loved me. You and I, to demonstrate that grace to somebody else and to let God's salvation teach me how to live, then I know that regardless of how bad people are, how wicked people are, how unkind they are, how hateful and mean they are, I want them to see how much God loves them. And how are they going to see? Well, they could see it through the gospel message itself. And they can also see it through me. They need to know that you really care and you really love people. So therefore, the grace of God teaches you and I how to live. Now, there's something else in this verse. But notice in verse 12 when he says, it teaches us there's some things denying ungodliness. Ungodly means it's not like God. If they say you're a godly man, it means you're, you're like God. So you and I are supposed to live a godly life. It means live like God wants us to live. And ungodly, the grace of God teaches us not to live an ungodly life. So when you hear people say, I'm just living by grace, and they're living an ungodly life, they're lying. They're not living by grace. Living by grace, grace teaches us that we should deny ungodliness in our life. Look what he says. That we should live soberly, righteously, godly, and I want you to see number three, that God's grace will get us through this present world. See, this is teaching you and I how to live in this present world. This is where we are. We know we're going to heaven. We're not there yet. We're still here. So while I'm here, how am I supposed to live? I'm supposed to live in such a way that I deny ungodly things as part of my life because this is my present life. This is the only thing that I can control is right now, this day, this moment, where I am, it's my life, and it belongs to the Lord. And so because of God's love for me, I should allow that love to challenge and motivate me to live the way God wants me to live. Should live. Should. See that? You don't have to. You can deny the grace of God in your life where it has absolutely no effect upon your life. You see, when you trusted Christ, God gave you a new birth and new desires, but you can deny those desires and not obey them. You can obey the desires of the flesh, and they'll become strong and little monsters in your life and ruin your life. So he says here, the last part of that verse, in this present world. So if it's talking about in this present world, then it must be enough to sustain us as long as we are in this present world. Have you ever heard of a verse that says, uh, Come to the throne of grace that you may obtain grace to help in time of need. So in this present world, there's times when you need. So you go to the Lord and it's like going to the throne of grace. You can get a little bit more desire and a little bit more power to do the will of God for your life. God's grace is sufficient for every man. And he also makes a statement in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, talking about how that God has given us grace according to the measure of grace. He's given every one of us all the grace we need 
for the life we need to live. But you don't have to obey God, yield to God, walk with God, love God, but you should. So should I. So this is what God wants us to do. But see, grace means that we do it because we want to. Because I, I love Him. Love should respond to love. And this is why the more you study the Word of God, the closer you find out God wants to get to you. And you want to get to Him. God doesn't want anything between you and I. Or between us and God. So get what He said now. In verse 13, the Bible makes this statement. God's grace teaches us to look for the blessed hope. The grace of God teaches us to look for the blessed hope. So what's the blessed hope? It's that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about all those who love His appearing. There's laid up a crown of righteousness, but not unto me only, but also to them who also love His appearing. You see, you should live every day, every moment, Believe me, you know, the Lord could come back today. But if He don't, I'll, come, I'll, I'll be looking for Him tomorrow. And if He don't come back, I'll, I'll look for Him tonight. I've been looking for the Lord for 53 years. Should I stop now? I don't think so. And He's always like keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I think this is what He means. He wants us to be living on the edge of our seats. He wants us to live expectingly, expecting that any time, any moment, all of this life will be over with. We'll no longer be in this present world. We'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the Bible teaches us that in verse 13, you and I ought to look for the Lord to come back again. This is the living hope. This is that hope that purifies your life, as it says in the book of 1 John in chapter 3. That we haven't seen Him yet. We don't know what we shall be like, but we know that we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath his hope in Him purifieth himself. Because see, if I believe Christ could come back tonight, did you know that that belief helped me to purify my life at this moment? It helps me to guard what I think about, my attitude, the things that I say, the places that I go. It should affect every area of life. See, God's grace teaches us all these wonderful things. It wasn't just grace to save you and give you eternal life. It's grace to live by. But see, God wants us to do it because He has done so much for us. I, I shared this before, but let me just very briefly show this. Our standing... In the flesh, that is our position. That's a positional truth. I was born into this world under the jurisdiction of the law. And because I had a flesh birth, I was born with a sinful nature, and therefore I could not obey the righteous law. Nothing wrong with the law. The law says it's spiritual, it's good, it's holy, it's righteous. There's nothing wrong with the law. The only problem with the law was that I have a flesh birth and I can't fulfill the righteous demands of the law. So the law condemns everyone born into the world. That is my position. That's my standing. Now, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, God gave to me a new position. I am now a child of God. 
This isn't this one manipulated in some way. It's not this one converted. I didn't take a garage and convert it into the living room. Now the garage is no longer there. That's what some people teach. That's not true. God didn't touch this one. He gave me a new birth. Totally brand new. This one had nothing to do with this one. This one was born of God. And if it's born of God, then God is my father. God is my father, then I am his child. If I am his child, I have his nature dwelling with me. It's a divine nature. This birth here, see, doesn't have a sinful nature because my father didn't have a sinful nature. Therefore, my, 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 my birth, I don't have a sinful nature. And if I have no sinful nature, I can't sin. If I have no sinful nature and I can't sin, I can't die. So that's why once you become a child of God, you have eternal life. And he can never unborn you, never lose you. You're his child forever. Over here, I have a sinful nature, and because I sin, I die, and everybody dies. This was my position before I trusted the Lord. After I trusted the Lord, God has moved me from this position to this position. Now, my new standing is in Christ. And that's why he says that we stand by grace. This is our standing, the book of, the, uh, of Romans in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is our new position, our standing in Christ. Now, this was because of God's grace. I didn't get there because of any good deeds that I've done. I got there only by grace. So God says, now, because you're in this position, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. That's my position. That's my standing in Christ that can never, never be changed. So as a child of God, God says, now as my child, this is what I want you to do with your life. And I want to teach you and help you and guide you. You see, the law would never do that for you. The law would not forgive. The law would not help you. The law would not do anything for you. The law has no mercy. The law had no grace. The law just condemned. The law had no love. Christ has all of that. Now, he wants me to live showing those characteristics of my father. Show mercy, show kindness, show goodness, show grace, give forgiveness. All those things God wants me to do. Because I'm a child by grace. That's who I am. That's where I am. That's my position in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to know. And so one day when Christ comes back in the air, he's not taking any of these over here. He's only taking those that are over here. So once you trusted Christ as your Savior, God sees you differently than you were before. You see, when you do some things that you should not do and you have sin in your life, it doesn't mean that the new birth doesn't exist. It just shows you that the old man still exists. And that's why you still do the things you do, because he still exists. But God sees us. We have two births. This one's born of God. And this one isn't. So one day he's going to come back and he says for us to look for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that's who he is. This is what he's done for us. 
Now, in this verse, some other good things. And write this down. God's grace will free us up. See there in verse 14? God's grace will free us up. He said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, this is not just talking about, I believe, that he paid for, yes, all of my sins. But not only to pay for my sins so that I'm delivered from the penalty of my sin, which is death and hell, but from the power of sin in my life. So I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. See, I was saved from the penalty of my sins, because Christ paid that for me. In my life, the Holy Spirit that indwells me and indwells you is for the purpose of redeeming us from the power of sin in our life in this present world. Because everyone still has this old sinful nature, and he's trying to get his tentacles into us and ruin our life, and trying to get us to fulfill the sinful desires that only would trap us. That's why Christ says, if you'll be my disciples, the truth will make you free. And so as we study the truth of the Word of God, and that's why he prayed that night in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. It's truth that sets us free. It's lies that enslave us. So now we have the Word of God given to us, and God wants us to realize the importance that sin will do to us but what grace can set us free from its power. And what you do is everyone lives according to the most powerful desires they have. Everybody lives according to how they really want to live. And that desire to serve God has to be strengthened. Now, you don't feed a desire, but you do feed a nature, feed a nature. You feed those desires, and those desires grow and become strong. So if you'll feed upon the Word of God and you meet with other Christians, and you pray and do all the things you you become stronger and stronger. And those desires become stronger. And those desires is the motivation for you to serve the Lord. Those strong desires is powerful. Just like you can have wrong sinful desires. You can have bad habits in your life. And they can destroy your life and ruin your testimony. So he says here in verse 14, 14 Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a special kind of people. The word peculiar people doesn't mean you're peculiar. It means that you're different. You're set apart. You see, there's the unholy and there's the holy. There's the ungodly and there's the godly. Now, which one do you think God wants us to be? He left us in this world, and the power that God has in us is by our yielding ourselves to him that we can influence other people's lives. Some Christians have absolutely no power in anybody's life. And the reason is because they have no power of God in their life. Because, see, if God can't change you, God can't use you to change others. You have to be an example of whatever it is you want to be. Something that's greater than building a ministry is building yourself strong in the Lord upon your most holy faith. And then whatever you are, you reproduce. 
Everything reproduces after its own kind. Go back to the book of Genesis, and it doesn't matter what it is. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And whatever you are is what you're going to reproduce. If you're a lazy, good for nothing, that's what you'll produce. But if you're an excited individual about the Lord, you can challenge and motivate other people about the things of the Lord. An unlit candle can't light another candle. But a candle that's lit, you want to light another candle and another candle and another candle. Since you've been saved, have, have there been other people that you have influenced, not only to trust the Lord, but to serve the Lord? That's when God has power in your life. Now, you heard James talking about certain ones that he's led to the Lord, and they come in, on the, they come in the church and so forth. That means God has use of James' life. That means God can use him in the lives of a lot of people. You understand what I'm saying? Is that true? These that go out on Friday night soul winning, and they have a whole bunch of people trust Christ as Savior. That's because, see, God is able to work through their lives, and they're making an impact upon people. I was talking to Jim Blevenger, and he was telling me about people that he has going and listen to the YouTubes of some of my messages over there in Lebanon. Was it Lebanon? So, but gee, that's God using you. Now, you need to find a way. I want to do something. I want to be used by God. But notice what he says here. Redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Because, you see, this is what the Bible will do. God's grace, the next thing, God's grace will purify your life. It makes you examine yourself to see, is there anything in my life that's not right? This is why David prayed back there in the psalm. He says, search me, O God, and see if there be any iniquity in my heart. Because see, you, an unexamined life is not worth living. When we have communion this coming Sunday, part of the thing in there is talks about in Corinthians it says, uh, examine yourself. Examine. Not, not, not examine your neighbor. Not examine your wife. Not examine your husband. No, not examine. Examine yourself. And see, is everything all right between you and God? Did you know you have a big enough job just taking care of yourself without sitting in judgment upon everybody else? Just go ahead and you do right, and you'd be surprised how God may use that light of yours to shine upon somebody else, and God will use you in a great way. Now, the last thing I wanted to give to you is in chapter 2 and verse 14, and you ought to underline these four words, zealous of good works. The grace of God will fire you up, cause you to have zeal. The Bible talks about how the zeal of the Lord hath eaten me up. You see, why did Jesus get so mad when he walked into the temple and everybody was gambling all over the place and money changers and they got a cord that's beating the people out of there, overthrew the tables? You say, boy, he really lost his cool. He says, the zeal of the Lord hath eaten me up. I'm eaten up with the zeal of God. In other words, where the, like Jeremiah says, the burning, the fire of God's word was in me, and I could not stay. I couldn't keep quiet. I had to say something. I had to do something. You ought to let the zeal of the Lord so get a hold of you where you've got to do something. You know, whenever I married Betty, we lived in five states in a year and a half. Five states in a year and a half. 
Her dad didn't want her to marry me in the first place because I was like a gypsy. I was so unsettled. I was the worst thing in the world for any man's daughter. It's like handing a Stradivarius over to a gorilla. It was just terrible. But I was so hungry inside. I was searching. I knew there had to be something more than getting up every morning and going to work and coming home and going to bed and getting up and going to work and coming home and going to bed and getting up and going to work and coming home and going to bed and getting up and going home and going to work and all day after day. It's got to be worth life than this. Let the lost man do what the lost man can do, but let me do what only a Christian can do. I don't want to waste my life. I want to do something. And the zeal of the Lord can get a hold of you. That's what grace does. Because you know it's free. But it wouldn't motivate me one iota to go to all the world and tell everybody to keep the Ten Commandments. Somehow that message just doesn't do it to me. But there's a whole world out there that's just like I was. Lost. And God loves them, everyone. And he paid for all of their sins, everyone. And all they have to know is that I loved them and I died for them. Yankee, would, would you go tell them for me? Well, Lord, you know I'd love to do it, but you know, I got so many things to do. They're so important. Would you say that to the God that created the heavens and the earth? I mean, would you say that to somebody that can take your very breath and you live only by the heartbeat that you have at the moment. David says there's only one step between me and death. And the God that can let me live or the God that can let me die. And I would refuse him. Said, so, no, I got something better. Oh, really? You do, huh? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Huh? Well, I didn't really mean it, Lord. Whatever you want me to do. What will God have to do to get your attention so that you don't play games? We only get one trip through this life. No reruns, no instant replay, just one trip through. Would it be neat if the grace of God that we say we are so thankful for, we're so proud of, and here at Calvary Community Church, buddy, we know grace. We know grace. We know and we can spot in that fast any message that comes along that adds works to the gospel can't we Amen. buddy we know it and that same grace that we love the gospel so much also teaches all this other stuff and does the grace of God does it change your life has it changed your life will it change your life I think it's the greatest thing in all the world to know that I have God's desire and God's power to live for him. And I don't want him to bestow his grace upon me in vain. So that I don't do anything with my life that he wanted. Because one day when we get to heaven, and one day we will, to stand before the Lord. And God says, you've got to give an account of yourself. I gave you 20 years to live. I gave you 30 years to live. Now, let's take a look and see just what did you do for me? Oh, why, there's a big old bonfire over there. Now, where did that come from? And the Bible says that God's eyes are like fire. And everything that we've done is going to be looked at through the eyes of the Lord.
And some are going to be burned up. And you may have some gold, silver, and precious stones. But whatever it is and whatever happens at that moment, you'll wish you had done more. You'll wish you had given him more. That day's coming. Christ is coming back for us. We are to be looking for that blessed hope, not blessed tribulation, the blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see what's needs up there is it says in the glorious appearing. You see, God's salvation hath appeared. When Christ died on that cross and was buried, he came back from the dead. Coming back from the dead was that last bit of evidence that was needed. This is who I am. This is who I am. And then when he came back from the dead, this salvation is for every individual. Then he says that the love and kindness of God appeared. And then he talks about him coming back and he's going to appear. And then he makes a statement that, for we know that all of us one of these days, we will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Disappear, appear. He's coming back. He's going to appear. We're going to disappear. I, I would call it disappearing when he says you'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and cut up to meet the Lord. That's pretty fast. Pretty fast. And to think it could happen at any moment. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. While it represents sin, we all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And you'll notice every time we give the gospel, I always do it in these seven steps. See, like I've said before, there is no magical powers taking a wallet and throwing it into another hand. I can do that all day long. It means absolutely nothing. It's that when I use it to tell a story. And I always tell the story with these seven steps in order because it's the content. And you see, God loves us, hates our sin. We're all sinners, number one. And the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's point number two. You have to be perfect to go to heaven, and nobody's perfect. Nobody. God's perfect. Heaven's perfect. We're not. That's step number three. Number four is that you can't save yourself. You can't earn it, your way to heaven. Number four, you can't buy your way to heaven. It's not by your works. Number five, Christ died. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Christ took all the sin of all the world, paid for it, came back from the dead, and said that, number six, all we would do or have to do is believe he did it for us. That when he died, paid for all the sins of the world, I believe he did it for me. That payment put to my account means I don't have one sin to pay for. No penalty. I cannot go to hell. I cannot pay for one of those sins. Because he paid for it all. And number seven, go to heaven. These things have I written unto you that believe. That you may know that you have eternal life. So can you know you have eternal life? Yeah. But see, whenever you tell the story and you give the illustration, stay on track for this reason. Some people will take this part and they'll take this part and then 
maybe not as clear as it ought to be. You can word it, but the thing is, walk a person through it because you're leading them to Christ. And their mind can follow a sequence, one after the other. Don't get it all jumbled up and then out of order because it's been built and proven over the years. It's a simple way to stay on track, to help you in the minds of the lost person. The gospel is not clear because you understand what you said. The gospel is clear when the lost man understands what we said. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I hope that what I've said helps you to understand. Yes, salvation is by grace. And living for the Lord should be because you love him. Because you were saved. Because he loved you. If you're watching by internet tonight, I can't see you. But I've talked to people who have trusted Christ as Savior by watching. And so in the quietness of this moment, right where you are, will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Friend, God said if you trust him, he would save you and give you eternal life. If you're here in the auditorium, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him right now? I'm not talking about trusting the preacher, trusting the church. I'm not talking about you becoming a religious hypocrite claiming to be something that you're not. Just be honest. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I want to go to heaven. And I believe Christ died for me. And friend, if you'll believe that tonight, God said he would save you tonight, right now. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment if you'll raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I'd like to have prayer for you. So is there anyone at all say, yes, preacher, that made sense to me. And tonight I will trust Christ as my Savior. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. You're God's child. You're going to heaven. But God is concerned about how you live. Study the Word of God. Get close to the Lord. Learn to walk with Him. He should be more real to you than the clothes that you have on your back. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us as we study your word and walk with you. And we just want your will to be done in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.